Audio Conversation with Mel Fabregas, recorded Wednesday, September 12th, 2012. Mel is the host of a podcast series uh, that covers similar topics to, to my site here. Uh, his site is called Veritas, and Veritas is Latin for truth. Uh, he talks about the genesis of his show uh, during this interview. It's, it's interesting. Uh, he and I uh, started our series fairly close to the same time, both of us under curious synchronistic circumstances. And, and I also have to compliment Mel. He's very dedicated to the sound quality, which is something I appreciate. There are a lot of crummy podcasts out there. I think the Blog Talk series uh, should be criminalized. Uh, anyway, now I met Mel in person uh, just this last February. This would have been the February of 2012 at the Open Minds Conference, which takes place just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, each year. Uh, it was nice to have a chance to chat with him. Uh, very likable guy. I got along with him splendidly right from the start. And um, uh, I did not even consider ever doing a podcast with him until... I heard an interview that he did with Carrie Cassidy, and in that interview, he talked about getting a serious heart ailment shortly after leaving a a UFO conference. Now, I have almost the exact same story. We share both of those stories during this interview. Uh, It's very strange. I'm not sure what to make of it. Now, also in that same interview uh, where Carrie Cassidy interviewed Mel, uh, she admits to being an alien-human hybrid. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of that either. Now, just so you know, that is a claim that I have heard many times. You know, enough that I, I pay attention when people say it. Uh, it struck me as very interesting when Carrie said that during that interview. Uh, now, obviously, that has nothing to do with Mel. Uh, Mel has an interesting set of experiences that he talks about uh, both here on this interview, and I will also link uh, two other interviews, one that he did with George Kavasilis on a podcast series called Super Woo. Uh, the, the other one that I'm linking to isn't technically an interview. It's just Mel talking about his own set of experiences, and it's interesting. Uh, it's about a half hour long, and it is linked uh, in the show notes, and it is on the uh, the page on his Veritas site, the page that is about. Now, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there's a little MP3 player there. So if you found this interview interesting, um, that would be a good follow-up. And this interview here runs just about two hours. Please enjoy. Hey, Mel, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Good, good. Hey, so you are um, producing an audio series called Veritas, and just can you, I think you would do a better job than I would, just sum, uh, sum up, you know, the, what, you're, what, the, what you're hoping to accomplish with the show. Well, essentially what we're trying to do is just find the truth. I used to listen to a lot of uh, radio shows years ago, and what I found was that a lot of doors were open for me. Uh, which was great. But behind those doors, I always found for every door, there were probably 10 more doors. But for some reason, I didn't see the host taking it further, taking it to the next door. So I decided to create my own show to be able to open those doors behind that for some reason, whether it's fear of ridicule, 
perhaps fear of danger, perhaps getting too close to the truth. Many outfits out there don't want to do it. Sometimes they don't want to jeopardize their, their revenue stream with the sponsors. They don't want to rock the boat. And my goal is to be able to open those doors. And, of course, you have to do it in a measured way, but uh, that is the main reason why I do what I do. I want to explore every area of the information that I believe as human beings has been hidden from us throughout history. And you, your show, uh, which is called Veritas, um, and I'll make sure that there's a link on the um, on the show notes so people can easily find it, uh, you don't have any commercials. That is correct. We don't have any commercials. We offer the first half of every interview for free, and that allows people to listen. And if they enjoy what they, list, they, they hear, then they subscribe, and that's how ke what keeps us on the air. So in a way, we're, we're a little bit like consumer reports. We don't have any sponsors telling us what to say or what not to say. Yes, and I also um, uh, don't have any advertisements on these shows, and, and that to me is very important. Uh, just for multiple reasons. And one, it just would interrupt the flow of the conversation. Right. Uh, and I would find that, um, uh, it, you know, like if you're sitting down at a, at a, you know, at a dinner table having a conversation, you know, the, the, the flow of the conversation shouldn't be interrupted by something unnecessary like that. That's correct. Uh, and that's what happens with commercials. When I listen to another radio show, even when I'm, when I'm the interviewee, and, and, and I understand that most radio shows have to survive with, with sponsors. But what happens is if you're talking about topic A, when you come back from the break, you don't remember what you were saying. And, and the flow of information will not be there. And when you are the interviewer, you leverage that opportunity because the guest will feel compelled to continue once they know that there are no commercials. Yes. Yes. Hey, um, I, th there's a one thing that I'm going to make sure to link on the, uh, the show notes. And okay. that is, uh, at the, there's a half hour, uh, audio download that is just you talking into the microphone and you're sharing some of your own experiences. And um, I just listened to that this morning and I found that very uh, tidy and very, uh, you know, it was, it was very informative for me. So um, I will make sure to link that. But one of the things that showed up on there that I thought was very interesting is you had an experience where you received a, a message in a way, and the message was take action. And um, and just what happened? And, and what did that me message influence? Well, this was probably late November 2008. I was having a dream, and I hardly dream, and those people who have listened to me know that. I hardly dream, but when I do, I either get receive messages or it's a very vivid dream. In that specific dream, I didn't see any pictures, but two words, take action. Throughout the night, take action. And then when I woke up in the morning, I was wondering, what was that all about? And I hardly watched TV. But that day, I decided to turn on the TV, the subliminal tube, and... I saw a man with the name of Milton Torres, who was a, a U.S. Air Force pilot, uh, who in 1957, he was stationed in, in, in England with the Air Force, and he was ordered uh, to shoot down a UFO. And I thought, my goodness, this is, this is a military man who's now a double Ph.D. professor, who's now coming forward because the British Ministry of Defense declassified the information. And I was listening to, 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 to him talking about the, the experience, and 
each network would give him about five minutes, but would not go into details. I kept channel surfing, and, and every channel, BBC, CNN, Fox News, you name it, there he was. But nobody was asking the real questions that I wanted to ask. So for some reason, I decided to find his phone number, and in less than 10 minutes, I found his telephone number. And I uh, wanted to call him to, to interview him. And my wife and I went to have dinner that night, and I said, if, if I call this man, I need to create a name for a supposed radio show. And I thought, this man is probably bombarded by media around the world. I need to be part of the media. And I told her, you know, what about if I create a, a name for a radio show that deals with UFOs, with conspiracies, with alternative health? And she uttered the word Veritas. And I thought that was great. Veritas means truth in Latin. So when I called uh, Dr. Torres the next day, I, I said, my name is Mel from, from Veritas, uh, the Veritas show, and I would love to, to conduct an interview. He accepted immediately, and in a few days, I interviewed him. This was December the 5th, 2008, the, third, the very first premiere episode. But it was not supposed to be an episode or a radio show. It was supposed to be just a souvenir telephone call from me. The next day, uh, actually that night, I uploaded the interview to a few forums that a lot of people know. In less than 24 hours, I received hundreds of emails, and I had... I didn't expect anybody to listen, but they did. And they asked me, when is the next radio show? And at that point, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I creating here? This is this is not a radio show. Stephen Bassett from 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 many people know him from the X conference and and uh, a, a big force in the disclosure movement contacted me, contacted me because he, he listened to the interview and wanted to have Milton Torres on his uh, X conference. And he asked me if I could provide the contact information, which I, I provided, and I asked him for an interview. So that was my second interview. And at that point, I decided, well, you know, this is, I like what I'm doing. I like the people I'm interviewing. Why not do it? So I created a website really quickly. And every week since then, we have had a radio show. We have not repeated once. We have not done a, 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 a uh, I forgot the, the name you used, but it's been, what, uh, almost uh, four years since then. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's interesting because that timeline matches my, um, my, my online presence. Also, it's been a little over three and a half years for me. Hey, you know, now I listened to that interview with Milton Torres, and I really have to say that was a great interview, and and mostly because thank you. Uh, well, he, he was a great guest on one level, but he went into such detail of just simple things like, well, not simple. I mean, they were complex, but he explained them beautifully about, um, you know, just what exactly it meant to have a radar guided missile and what exactly it meant, you know, like once you flip the switch, you know, how does it actually interact with the controls of the plane? Um, All of those details made for, uh, you know, now this is happening 50 years ago. So, you know, this would have, you know, by today's technology, that seems archaic, but it was, it was just, um, so engrossing and engaging to hear him talk about, uh, you know, the step-by-step minutia of what was involved, um, you know, from, you know, sitting at his post to getting into his airplane to getting into flight into actually uh, confronting this this uh, unknown object. I, I just thought it was, you know, I was captivated the whole time. Well, that's correct, and we hear many times that. Supposedly, the U.S. government, their technology is 50 years ahead of us. I would, I would, I would be willing to bet it's it's more than that. But that is evidence 
that if they had that type of technology in 1957, a radar that would not activate the weapon system unless it locked it made a lock that to me sounded fascinating for being you know over 50 years ago yes and you could tell he was he was um in a way uh relieved to be able to t- to share the story in such detail i could actually sense that in him that someone was giving him a chance to to um to just share his direct experience Yes, he was very emotional, and and if anybody listened to any of the interviews that came after that, sometimes he would cry. During the ex-conference, he actually cried because his father passed away, and he really wanted to tell his father what had happened. As a matter of fact, I, bel- I don't even know if, if Milton Torres is, is alive. Uh, last time <clears throat> I spoke with his son a couple of years ago, he was in a coma. <clears throat> and not expected to to live, so I, I'm not sure if his life he might be alive, but he he might not be conscious. Oh, that's terrible. That's that's hard to hear. So, um, uh, you starting as a boy have had a lot of paranormal and psychic experiences, um, and as opposed to just going into each one individually, um, just how. Did those experiences influence your life's path? To me, they were never paranormal. They were absolutely normal. This is just the way it was for me. The very first time I thought, this is not normal, I was probably about five or six years old. And I was walking down our street with a great aunt. And all of a sudden, I looked at a house and I pointed at it. And I said, that house looks just like your house in Cuba. My family left Cuba in the, in the early 60s, and all of a sudden, she started crying. And I asked her, well, why are you crying? And she goes, because that house is very, very similar. It almost looks exactly as the house that we had in Cuba. And we kept walking, and she was looking at me like, well, what was that all about? How, how, how would you know that? And from there, you know, more things happened. I almost drowned at one point, and I, I survived that. I was uh, probably about six years old. Ooh, let, eight- me in- let me interrupt real quick. So you, um, <clears throat> I heard you tell that story. Now, did this would this qualify as a near-death experience? I wouldn't call it a near-death experience because nobody gave me mouth-to-mouth or anything along, along those lines. I was basically falling, and I could see the water. But one of my brothers just jumped in and got me out. So I didn't feel like uh, I was dying at all. I... You know, just didn't know how to swim, and he got me out. So it was, it was a close call, but none, I wouldn't say it was a near-death experience. I had near-death experiences afterwards, though. Oh, you you had? This is the first I've heard. Yes. Um, can you share one of them? You said you've had experiences more than one? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, the, the very first one that I can remember was uh, January nineteenth, 1982. I, I, I call that my second birthday. I was, uh, that day, I rode my bike to school, and... For some reason, that day, I decided to clean my, clean my locker, and I took all the books, put them in my, in my backpack, so I had a, a few pounds more than usual on my back that, back that day, which was unusual. So I left uh, school about 2.30, I'm riding my bike home, and all of a sudden, apparently, the car that was behind me hit me, and I fell headfirst, and all I can remember is that I was on top of my bike. And the car, instead of stopping, it kept going. And I kept yelling, stop, stop. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that it was probably close to 100 meters of how long it took for the car to stop. 
After the car stopped, I looked at myself, I looked at my, my left hand, and I could see the bones almost coming out of my knuckles. I couldn't see my right arm. It was pinched under the tire. I had people who had to race the car to get me out. They took me out to the hospital, and essentially the backpack was pinched between me and the, bu the front bumper. If it hadn't been for that backpack, I would be dead by now. And the only thing I suffered was my, my right arm uh, was broken. And that was the very first time. I, I knew for some reason that something must have helped me. What was it? I don't, I don't know. About, I would say, three or four months after when the cast came off, I was uh, going to, to a, a, a social event at one, at one school at night on a Friday, and I was crossing the highway. A car came. Obviously, it didn't have the lights on, but it hit me. If I had walked one microsecond faster, he would have hit me, you know, right between the eyes, basically. But it just scrubbed me, and I jumped in the air, and I fell on my feet once again. It was just an incredible move. I mean, think about this. You're just walking, and this car comes probably about 40, 50 miles an hour, and it just brushes you off, and then you jump in the air, a couple of flips, and you land on your feet. The man stopped, opened the door, apologized for having the lights off. He, I remember he had a boombox, and he said, please, let me take you to the hospital. Let me just do something. And I said, no, no, I'm fine. And he had a big boombox. I said, can I give you this? Just take my boombox. And then George Cavasilas, a show that you probably listened to, interviewed me a, week, a few weeks ago. And he said, Mel, you probably never got the parallel there. He was giving you a boombox, a radio. Oh, yes, and, yes. And maybe there was a signal that I never, never took, but I was fine. Then fast forward, maybe a decade later, I, I was living in Miami. A drunk driver hit me head on, and he was a, he was a diplomat from Venezuela. And I remember because the cops told me there's no way they're going to pay. He's a diplomat from Venezuela. As a matter of fact, he's just peeing in his pants right now. That's how scared he is. So that was another experience. And like that, I had a... A few others, minor, but uh, then I had the last one in, in March 2010, which is when I, uh, I, I don't know if I can say the word contracted, but I developed pericarditis, and that can kill you. And no, we, no, we get please, it. please uh, tell the, that story in detail, because this is something that this is the whole entire reason I contacted you to do this interview is this story that you're just about to tell. Yes, and I, I discovered more information after you and I met earlier this year. But essentially, I went to the first International UFO Congress. I was invited in 2009, but I, I didn't go. So in 2010, when they moved, uh, they were still in, in Laughlin, Nevada. So I'm there with, with a group of people, and a lot of them started getting sick at the end of the, the Congress. And most of them were developing lung uh, you know, pneumonia, bronchitis, and so on. And I was fine. But I remember there were two young guys there, probably in their late 20s, early 30s, that really wanted to stick around with us. And they were pretending to be naive and curious. And I had a, I just really had a bad vibe. And one night we went with Ed Grimsley to mm -hmm. a, night, a night watch. And they, they, they tagged along. 
And once again, they wanted to hang out with us. And at one point, I told them, you know what, just pretty much in better terms, politely, I just said, you know, we wish just, just to be by ourselves. I just didn't, didn't, didn't trust them for some reason. They shook my hand, and they moved. They, they went away. So when I got back, I heard from a lot of the people that, that, that went to, to the Congress. Uh, one, of them is, uh, one of our guests, Jim Nichols, uh, Jocelyn from Sedona, they all were really, really sick. I was not. But about a week or two later, I, for some reason, started getting chest pains. And I thought it was, you know, eating hot food or, or uh, uh, acid reflux. So essentially for two nights, I could not sleep. Because when you're sleeping, you, you, you don't remember to breathe. It's automatic. But if every time you sleep, you, you, you breathe, you feel the pain, there's no way you can't sleep. So after two nights without sleep... I decided to go home, home from my restaurant, and I called the insurance company. I spoke to a nurse, and I told, them, told her what was going on. And she said, sir, hang up the phone immediately and call 911. And I thought, why? Call 911. Hang up the phone now. So that's what I did. I called 911. In less than 10 minutes, there was an ambulance right here uh, in my house and probably about 10 paramedics coming in. And, you know, I had, I had a small daughter at the time, my wife. They were all freaking out. And I got into the ambulance, and they put uh, an IV and gave me a nitro uh, pill. And I thought, but, but why am I getting a nitro pill? I'm not having a heart attack. And they say, well, we don't know that. So I did. And that was my first experience with, with nitro pill. So we arrived at the hospital, and the doctor is looking at the symptoms. And, and I said, it's probably acid reflux or heartburn. And he said, no, it's not heartburn. It's pericarditis. It's, you know, it's with your heart. And honestly, I just, that, that was the first time. You hear about people who say they that life all of a sudden repeats in your mind in a microsecond. Well, that's exactly what was happening. My daughter was about three years old, and I thought, my God, you know, what if I don't make it? I spent a night at the hospital, and they gave me ibuprofen for a week. After a week... I uh, stopped taking it, and I f was feeling normal, but it came back. At the time, I didn't tell my wife, but I had, I have something that I, I discovered called Miracle Mineral Solution, MMS. People who listen to my show know that I, I've used it on me. I've used it on my dog. I saved, saved her life. So I used that. In less than 24 hours, the pain was gone, and, and thank God it's never come back. But uh, I found the correlation of those two Young men being there and everybody who was there with me in that group getting sick and me getting pericarditis, a little bit peculiar. And then I meet a gentleman with the name of Mike, Mike Cleland, this year you, Mike, at the UFO Congress. And we just we talked about this and more or less the same thing happened to you. And I believe Mac Tonys, the late Mac Tonys, uh, the author of Crypto Terrestrials, also had that, but he died. Well, he so yeah. So I'll fill you in um, on what happened at my end. I'll, I, we've never actually talked about it. I think we just sent emails back and forth, and I know I wrote a blog post about it mm -hmm. um, because I heard you tell that story on uh, a podcast that Carrie Cassidy from Project Camelot did. I think I think it's called Whistleblower Radio. Correct. And she does a um, oh I, a few times a month or weekly. She'll do a podcast series where she'll just do an audio interview. So when you so when you told that story, I was like, oh, my God, this is this gets so weird because – so I'll, let me share the story that happened to me, and it involves Mac Tonys. 
so f- first let me say that I, I was I had never met Mac. Uh, Mac and I were very close friends uh, over the telephone and email. Um, he was working on a book called The Crypto Terrestrials, and uh, him and I were talking about uh, me doing the illustrations for the book. And uh, so we had, you know, that was, I was basically saying, he he said, you know, like, oh, there's no money in it. And I'm, uh, and I'm like, listen, I'll do this for free. Don't worry at all about it. It's, a, you know, I, I'm be honored to. Uh, so I went, uh, this would have been October of 2009. Uh, and for folks who are listeners to my podcast series, uh, October of 2009 uh, was singularly the most bizarre month of my life. I was plagued by more weird experiences and more synchronicities, all just one after another after another, uh, basically screaming at me to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so it was right in the midst of this kind of whirlwind of a month that I went to a conference in Joshua Tree, California, that Whitley Strieber was putting on. It was called the Dreamland Conference Um and it was just a weekend. I think it was just two days. Uh, so um, I uh, decided to drive down there, and there were some friends I could visit while I was down there. Uh, the conference was pleasant. It was nice. Uh, it was in a wonderful spot, this incredible uh, place that was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and his son uh, that was out in the desert. And it's been, I don't know, it must have been created in the 50s or so. And it's a little bit sun-bleached now, so it's kind of weathered and bleary. It's got a great vibe to it. Uh, so after the conference, I uh, came back home. Now, here's a question I'll ask you. How many days after the conference was it when you first started getting the symptoms? I would say probably about 10 days after. Okay, so it was less than that for me. So it was probably about four days after, four or five. Uh, I could actually go through my calendar and figure it out exactly, but I'll say four or five days. Uh, so I um, was... Driving back, I stopped in a little town in Utah and visited a uh, UFO researcher by the name of Elaine Douglas, and she uh, she's a very interesting woman. And uh, so I camped out in the desert, and then the next morning I came into town, I had a cup of coffee, and and there's a little smoothie bar right on the main street. So um, I uh, had a smoothie, and and uh, for some reason they put bee pollen in it, and I'm pretty sure I said, sure, go ahead and put bee pollen in it. And uh, and then shortly after that, I had an allergic reaction. Uh, and I ended up, I remember I actually barfed on the street there of, 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 of Moab, Utah. But it's, it never got bad, the allergic reaction. It never felt like my, it never felt like I was in danger of like my throat closing up. Let me put it that way. My airway was just fine. Um, so I went to uh, Elaine's house. I was feeling terrible. We sat around and talked. Um, and then... Little by little, as the time went on, like the the symptoms of the uh, anaphylaxis, uh, the the um, allergic reaction to the bee pollen went away. I said goodbye to her. I was planning on driving home that night. I went back to the very same smoothie shop and had another cup of coffee before driving. And I had my laptop there and I checked my email. And it was at that time that I heard that Mac Tony's had died. Um, someone emailed me and said. You know, it was a complete stranger, and he said, "Hey, I don't know if you know this, but um, it's been reported that Mac Tony's died." And I and I emailed to a couple people, uh, one of whom was David Biedney, who was the host of a of Paracast, a, the Paracast, and him and I had become friends. We we had met uh, at a, at a conference in 2008, and then he got back to me right away via email and said, "Yes, it's terrible news. It's true." 
Um, and I remember I sat in the back of this, of this, um, uh, little... by the way, my birthday, October 18th is the day when Mac Tony's died. Oh my word. Okay. So this would have probably been two days afterwards. So this one has been like the 20th because I know he, they, they didn't find his body until two days after. So, mm. um, so, uh, oh, that's very interesting. Now, so what happened was, you know, so I sat there in the back of this little smoothie shop is this kind of hippie little place on the main street of this tourist town. And I, and I remember just weeping openly, just, I didn't know, you know, and, um, and I didn't know what else to do. So I just got a big cup of coffee and then drove, started driving home north to my home here in Idaho. Uh, and I remember I took the smallest back roads I possibly could. And that was something that that's normal for me. That's the kind of thing I do. Um, I just think driving through the desert is so beautiful and to get off the interstate and, and drive on the little scenic roads is spectacular. Um, but as I was driving, I started feeling chest pain. Um, and I, I, uh, work for outdoor programs and outdoor schools. So I, I, I'm certified in first aid and I know the symptoms of, uh, a heart attack. You know, the, the symptoms would be crushing chest pain, but that's not what I was feeling. It was very localized. I could put my finger right on it. Uh, and it was, um, and it was consistent. Like it didn't go away. It didn't, you know, it didn't get any worse. It didn't get any better. Um, and I remember just driving through the night. It, you know, it was hard because I was had just heard about the about the uh, the death of a friend. So there was a sort of um, I don't want to say morbid, but you know, like there was a fatalistic sort of feeling about the whole thing. It was very moving for me. And oh, and I will also add that I had uh, my iPod, which I had downloaded all of Mac Tony's um, audio interviews, which there's a lot of them. He was just on Coast to Coast uh, a few weeks before his death. And, um, he, uh, you know, so he was on for, I think three hours and he did a great job. You could actually tell George Norrie, who was, um, you know, who's kind of seen it all and heard it all, uh, was genuinely charmed by Mac and, and his, his approach. And so it made for a really engaging, uh, interview and it was, it was, um, so anyway, I listened to that and just loads more of only his voice, which was probably about 15-hour drive between uh, between there and my home. I stopped and, and slept on the side of the road for a little bit. But uh, I was at home. I it stayed there for, for a few days. You know, the pain never went away. It was always consistent. Um, and I, I actually thought that it was like I had pulled my shoulder or something like that. Right. You know I, mean? it I felt thought like that it was too. almost like a muscular thing right at that spot. I'm touching it right now. And I went to the doctor and I said, hey, I've got chest pain. And he's like, oh, you know. Let me listen. And then, so he, using the stethoscope, listened. And um, pericarditis is a inflammation of the pericardium, which is the sac that encases the heart. Correct. Uh, there's potentially a chance, what well, seems like logic, logic in one way, and this gets all blurry because, you know, you have the story about leaving the UFO conference. I have the story about leaving the UFO conference. I have the added, um, you know, sort of curveball of the... Uh, anaphylaxis which 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 may have played a role in it there's no way to know um but uh the, yeah that's the doctor put me on high dosages of aleve which is a, a analgesic similar to ibuprofen yeah. and um and i never went to the hospital he just put me on the aleve and said listen this this sh- you should get results and i did it went away almost immediately upon st- taking the uh you know what was just a basic over-the-counter drug Yes, well, to me, I had to stay overnight just because we wanted to be safe. But uh, in 1996, I was uh, lifting weights, I remember, 
And the next day I had so much ch chest pains that I thought I was having a heart attack. And thankfully I went to the cardiologist and they said, no, you have a muscle spasms. So I thought maybe because I, had, I was working out prior to this, this happening, I was even going to the gym and, and exercising with the pain this one time in 2010. And I thought, oh, it's probably a muscle. But this can very well be lethal. Do you know if Mac Tony's had the same condition? Now, now Mac um, had a condition, uh, I guess it was just, I'm not sure of actually the, the, the medical definition, but he basically died of heart failure. Yeah. And that was what it said on the, um, as far as I can tell, the autopsy report. I've talked to his mother. Um, shortly after uh, that, ha you know, he died, and um, he—I don't have the exact date uh, that it happened, but I would going to say within probably two months before he he died, he had an event where he was at work and he passed out, hmm. and they took him to the hospital and they suspected it was some sort of heart issue. He would have been 34 years old. He was fit and, you know, tall and healthy and trim. And, you know, they did all the things. They put him on the treadmill. They got his, his uh, pulse rate up real high. Right. They had they tested him uh, up one side and down the other for some sort of heart issue, and they couldn't identify anything. Um, and then, you know, um, two months later, he died in his – as far as anyone can tell, he died in his sleep. Now, now here's something. It's a great book, by the way. It's a great book to anybody who wants to to learn about crypto terrestrials. I highly recommend Mac's book, which, by the way, was not published until after he passed away. Yes. Now, the, and those illustrations in that book are mine. And, oh, is that right? Congratulations. Yes, They're great. Yes. So, uh, uh, and he um, now this is, you know, it's what happened very quickly after his death was the um, internet was abuzz with with sort of conspiracy uh, stuff that you know he was. You know, basically offed by the secret government. Um, anytime there's a suspicious or an unusual death in the in the UFO community, um, I would think that would be very easy to to jump to that conclusion. Uh, having spoken to his mother, having having spoken to some very close friends who were involved right away, um, one of whom is um, Greg Bishop. Um, you know, any, there's no evidence at all that there was any sort of foul play involved. So I just want to make that clear. But what is interesting, and in kind of, I mean, almost poetic in the sense that, like, if I was a Hollywood scriptwriter, I would not go to this extreme and put this in a in a in a in a script because it just seems too bizarre. But when he uh, he had I had been talking to him uh, in the weeks. I think I talked to him just probably less than a week before he died and he was he was he said he was carrying around a three ring binder with um the final edited pages and he was doing his last editing with a pen in the margins you know red pen and just marking up the text so when they f found the manuscript they found the three ring binder on his desk with the completed you know edits that he made so he he you know finished what is what is a very powerful and very uh, insightful little book. It's not a big book, um, and and the uh, you know the fully edited, completed uh, set of his his you know final edits was right there on the desk next to his bed. Let me add something to this, because I have to be honest. When I heard the term crypto-terrestrial, I pretty much thought this is science fiction. This is this is just no. There's no way that this could be true. But then when I was exposed to Mac's work and I saw him 
on video I interviewed, you know, so eloquent, so professional, so serious about it. It really caught my attention. So a few, a couple of months ago, I don't know if you know who Jay Widener oh, is. Oh, yes, I do. Sure. Well, Jay's been on the show for a few times, but this this third time we we're discussing some of his work. And as a, we're, we're talking about Mactonis and crypto-terrestrials, I sensed that somebody was listening to us. And I told Jay, Jay, you know, I know this happens once in a while. I hear that somebody's picking up your phone on, on your side, but I, I, I sense that somebody's listening. And we just kept going and, and talking about crypto-terrestrials and Mac and, and the fact that uh, this, this may be reality. It probably is one of the most taboo topics, even in the alternative field. <clears throat> so after I'm done with that interview, what I do, I just play the first segment to make sure that, that's, that we record it okay. And the only thing I heard was Jay's telephone ringing, Jay saying hello, and after that, his voice was completely removed. My recorder records whatever's hearing, whatever's capturing your voice and my voice. How they did it, I have no idea. I thought maybe something happened with the, with the machine. The second segment, the same exact thing happened. The phone rings, Jay says hello, and they completely wiped out the entire interview. Two days later, I met uh, Jay in person in Sacramento. I was hosting. I was uh, um, being the the the, uh, the master of ceremonies at a Sacramento conference, and Jay and I had uh, had a, a drink at night, and we were discussing this. And he was telling me that he feels a little bit scared about this because they're they're making it really impossible for him to talk about it. He went to Jeff Rents, and the same thing happened there. Not 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 exactly the same, but they they tinkered with Jeff's. Uh, audio system. So, you know, a few weeks later, I told Jay, can we do it again? I sent, I gave him a USB drive with the portion of my audio for him to just fill in the blanks. And he was a little concerned. But anyway, a few weeks ago, somebody who we know, a blog, a very known blogger, came to me and, and, and said, you know what, I'm going to talk to Jay, see if he can do it again. We did it again. And we finally put that interview on, on my website, if anybody's interested, we tried to replicate what we talked about during that first interview, and we even added even more because of what happened. So the crypto-terrestrial word is, is something that can put you on the radar, I guess. You know, it's very interesting because Mac, and I had long conversations with Mac about this, he, um, he had been talking about the crypto terrestrials as an idea and for folks who aren't familiar with it um he was speculating on the there might be a reality of a parallel form of human that lives alongside of us you know and he for his own thought experiment he was saying that this is a flesh and blood physical entity not like a an apparition like a ghost or something that is that is sharing our our earth with us and that would be why they they are so concerned about you know nuclear testing that would be why they are so concerned about about um uh oh my gosh my cat just brought a bird in the house she's got a bird in the house oh <laughs> <laughs> oh hold on i'm gonna carry her i'm gonna set her outside just a second hold on sure Okay, I'm back. Whatever that means. Um, you there? I'm here. Okay, so um, 
so the so the thought experiment was a parallel species similar to humans and that's why you know the people who report the ufo events don't report you know jellyfish or something like that something truly alien they re- they report something similar to us something with you know uh, a human body shape two arms two legs and and he i will be quite honest he was not wedded to the idea he um near the end of the book in a way, I, I suspect any author goes through this, gets a little exasperated, you know, looking at something so closely. But I don't think he was he was um, necessarily believed it as a, as a truth. I think he was much more interested in just proposing this as as a form of speculation, as a hypothesis that that could then you know that someone else may or may not go ahead and prove. And I know that Jay Widener. Um, goes the next step and which Mac never did in his book the crypto terrestrials and and notes how cleanly the crypto terrestrial theory fits with the uh the the archons that are reported in the the gnostic text that was dug up uh, curiously enough in 1947 that's right the same the same year of the creation of the state of israel and Roswell and Roswell, uh, right. uh, Kenneth Arnold, yeah. So, yep. um, which 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 leads leads me to something that I know many people might be disappointed with what I'm about to say. Ever since I was a child, I, I always wanted to 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 be into the UFO community and, and learn and, and and see a UFO. But recently, and this is just recently, and, and perhaps even with Mac Tony's work and Jay Whitener and others. Talking about maybe, you know, the the, the North Pole, the, the South Pole, Antarctica, the Nazis moving there, and so on. I get this feeling, Mike, that if if we see UFOs that look metallic, we are led to believe that they're extraterrestrial. But what if they're not? What if they're actually terrestrial? What if Hitler conquered that technology and it was used in Roswell? I've known many people now that say that perhaps what, what crashed in Roswell was technology that was terrestrial, and uh, for many theories. Some say that it was German. Some say that it was the Russians, that Lenin wanted to test the United States and, and used uh, children with, uh, that were experimented by, by, by uh, 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 Joseph Mengele. There are many theories out there, but I think that there's a possibility that if anything that we see up there looks metallic, there's a possibility that it may not be extraterrestrial. It may be ours. And ask yourself this question. Why is it that commercial airliners cannot fly over the North Pole or the South Pole? Makes you wonder what's up there and what's down there. Yes. Now, this gets so murky in a way because... I mean, I've heard, I've talked to so many people who claim the first-hand abduction experience, and at some point in almost everyone's, uh, you know, when they retell their story, they'll say they were in some sort of underground facility, yeah. whether that's like a cave or whether that's like a military facility where they go down in a what would be a perfectly normal human terrestrial elevator, uh, and and then other people will say they, you know, almost like pass through and enter this these underground facilities the, the what might be more you know alien facilities without going through a door basically they just sort of materialize within them so 
you know, this, the, this is a hall of mirrors once you go down these, these, this avenue because there's so many, you know, conflicting theories. But, but I do know what you're saying, that there is a genuine mystery. And, and now the thing that's interesting is that, you know, people were reporting metallic flying craft well before World War II. Uh, it seems that there was a, a, a big wave of sightings, you know, starting in 1947 uh, with the Kenneth Arnold case. So, um, I, you know, I, I agree that some of the craft that are reported now could be, um, you know, advanced military aircraft. You know, who knows what the source would be, whether it was from, um, you know, Nazis channeling, you know, aliens, which supposedly, you know, there's there's plenty of evidence or, you know, there's reports that that's exactly what was going on within uh, sort of occult societies. There's one called the Vril Society yep. that played a role in, in Hitler's rise to power. So this gets very, very mysterious. And, and I'm I'm shy to to come to any kind of conclusion. But I love the, the act of pondering and speculating about these things. Well, of course. And I'm glad that we're saying this because this is not... This is not conclusion, but it's just a theory because we have uh, the pyramid of the, the Great Pyramid. Uh, you know, look at Abydos. You see what looks to be an airplane, what looks to be a helicopter. We see in, in the, the, the Sanskrit, we, we, we see the Vimanas thousands of years ago. So if this perhaps existed back in time thousands of years ago, there's a possibility that this technology exist today and of course when you think about the possibility of having a an inverse gravity machine that would completely shatter the paradigm of the energy industry i mean look at the airplanes today <laughs> they they, they uh, yeah they look a little bit more modern but in the last 50 years they're pretty much the same nothing yes. really has changed and, and when you see this this technology Thousands of years ago, you had the Ananerba, which is the brain tank of the Nazi regime. I have information that states that George W. Bush, uh, George H. W. Bush, is part of the Ananerba, and the Ananerba continues to this day. And what they did do back then in the in the 30s and 40s, Hitler sent them to North Africa. They sent them to Tibet to meet with 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 elders of native uh, cultures to get information. And apparently this is where Hitler got a lot of this exotic technology. I mean, it sounds like the plot of a, of, you know, a uh, Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones movie. Yeah. And in, uh, I mean, even the most recent Indiana Jones movie, the final one, the, the, they, they, they literally had crystal skulls. And That's they right. had, you know, that the, the movie culminates with a flying saucer, you know, an ancient flying saucer, uh, you know, rising up out of the jungles. I think it was like the jungles of Brazil or something like that. Um, uh, hey, have you seen? And, I, and I'm, I've only seen this on the internet. There is, a, and it might be a hoax, but it, it you know, it was presented as something genuine. Um, and I have not tried to follow up on it, but uh, some artifacts. Uh, it just looked like you know clay tablets and vases and things like that of ancient Aztec, Mexican Aztec reliefs and paintings and such that very clearly show, distinctly show flying saucers. I mean, like if, if you took anyone and said, you know, here, draw a flying saucer on this piece of paper, you know, they were drawing the same thing as well as what amounted to the quintessential gray alien with the great big black eyes. Yes, I, I have not seen. I don't want to believe. I want to know. I have to, I have to see and analyze the material in front of me, but I can tell you that two researchers whom I respect, uh, 
one being Nassim Haramein and another one being Klaus Donner. They both have uh, have analyzed these artifacts, and they both say what you're telling me. Flying saucers, uh, you know, the, 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 the prototypical gray alien face. But in addition to that, recently I saw some pictures of pyramids in Antarctica. I haven't heard about this years ago, but I've never seen pictures. And this just tells you how much we don't know. And I also heard that the Mexican government is slowly releasing information from the, 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 uh, the, the Mayan uh, culture, showing this, what, what you're telling me here. There's a movie coming out as well. I don't know if this is a marketing ploy or not, but they're releasing a lot of these architectural findings to let people know that we might not be alone after all. Uh, and I, th I have to say that the Internet is playing a very powerful role in this because um, – and this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Y you know, there's uh, corporate media structures in place that can release news exactly the way they want to. They can avoid subjects. Certain subjects are absolutely taboo, and you'll never hear them mentioned on corporate news stations unless they're used in some form of ridicule. I'm just thinking of, uh, you know, making fun of people who see flying saucers. And then um, – but what is happening – is that there's a grassroots uh, revolution is the perfect word that's occurring right now. And I, and I think that you're a part of it. And I'll have to say that, that I'm playing a small role, you know, just doing what we're doing now, you know, trying to share information without an editor, without a publisher, without spending vast amounts of money. Um, you know, the equipment that I'm doing this on is just my desktop computer and a $19 headset that I got at, at Radio Shack. So, um, there's something happening right now, and I think that it has the power to crumble that artifice that's in place. Uh, you know, in one example, I mean, many things are changing and will change because of it. And and the, I I don't quite know what disclosure actually means. You know, when you get right down to it, um, but I do know that with the advent of the internet, that more and more people are taking the UFO phenomena very seriously. Oh, absolutely. I think, and I've said this many times, the Internet is a double-edged sword. First of all, we have people like you and I and, and, and probably thousands of others who are doing what we're doing, and we're, we're just putting this out there for people to connect more dots. So there's obviously an awakening process taking place. That's, I have no doubt. At the same time, the intelligence apparatus is smart. They're there for a reason. And they're also injecting a lot of misinformation and disinformation. So discernment is key to be able to get to, to, get to the truth. Because right now, I remember, what was it, earlier this year or last year, when the UFO that was seen in, the, the, uh, in Israel at the... On top oh, the of Temple the, on the Mount, yes. Uh, I forgot the, the actual location. The, the yeah, mount. the Temple on the Mount. And the first two or three videos, I tend to think they were real. All of a sudden, they injected a hoaxed one. And just because they, they added a hoaxed one, that makes the rest of the videos be questionable. And this is the problem when we have so much, the preponderance of people with video, with cell phones now that can, and that can take a high quality video. Uh, but at the same time, you have the others that are putting and perpetrating these hoaxes. So it's very difficult. This, the minefield is much bigger now is what I'm saying. At the same time, I think disclosure, and I've said this many times, will not come from a government authority. And if it does, 
I hope people question it. I think this closure will occur at a grassroots level with people like you and I. Perhaps we, we find somebody who, who can show us some proof and some evidence and, the, and we can actually take the information and, 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 and disseminate it in a viral manner that cannot be discounted. And, and I think that's, that's the only way. Um, yes, I think it's going to happen organically from the ground up rather than, than you know, formally from the top down. And I wonder if it'll be a singular event that changes any everything, or it will just be the culmination of a, a million tiny events that that become impossible to ignore. I'm concerned about this scenario that you perhaps you, you're not proposing, but you probably have heard of the report from Iron Mountain that was presented by Secretary of Defense McNamara to Kennedy, to President Kennedy, and that report basically said that we always needed a threat over our heads in order to keep the economy and the nation strong. At that time, we had the Cold War, but what was proposed to Kennedy was that the Cold War would not last forever. And when the Cold War ended, we needed to create a new threat. We needed to create a boogeyman called terrorism. And we all know the Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and all that. And after that, people probably will not believe it anymore. What is the next step? A celestial object or a natural disaster? But the last card, and this was confirmed to me by my friend, Dr. Carol Russin. She was assistant to Dr. Werner von Braun. And I know he's not popular with many people, but this is what he said to her. He repeated twice, the last card, the last card, Carol, will be a fake alien invasion. And you must do what you have to do to, to let people know that when this happens, it will not be real. So if we are ever faced in a situation where we see a, a, a scenario like the Series V, where we see the ships over, you know, our largest cities around the world. How are we to believe that this technology may not be ours, or perhaps it could be a hologram? The technology is there. I interviewed a man with the name of uh, uh, Emenegger a few years ago when I started this show, and he was a marketing consultant. He had a marketing company, and he and his partner were in San Francisco. And he told me this. He was at a Bank of America headquarters in San Francisco in the 70s, and he was giving a presentation to a group there. All of a sudden, they interrupted the, the uh, conference because the president was on the line, President Nixon. And he summoned Bob Emenegger to Washington, and essentially what they wanted to do, they wanted him to be the one to... to uh, create a documentary about disclosure. And he was involved in that project for months. At the 11, and he met with generals at the Pentagon, and he said that on my show. At the 11th hour, they pulled all the footage and only gave him, I believe it was about 75 feet of footage, when he had thousands of feet of footage off the UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base. Oh, oh, so let me interrupt. So he actually, this is the, the I have, I'm very skeptical of the Holloman Air Force Base story. Um, it's a great story, but I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced of its reality, but I do pay attention when people talk about it. Um, so he, did he actually see the footage? Did they present the footage to him and say, here's the footage we want to use in this documentary? That is correct. He saw the footage and then at the 11th hour, they pulled it, but they allowed him, I believe it was about 75 feet off the the entire footage with the condition 
And this was in 1978 in a, a, a TV show that was, host, was hosted by Rod Serling from The Twilight Zone. At the end, you can actually Google this uh, on YouTube, I'm sorry. You can see the footage where they were saying this could have happened or may happen in the future. But you are not allowed to say that this happened. See how the trick of words there? So I thought this was an incredible piece of information. A few weeks later, he went to another show with Angela Joyner, who was the, the main reporter who reported the the uh, Stephen Mill lights in, in uh, Texas. This was 2009, I believe. When he went on that show, she asked him the same question, and he denied it. So I wonder if after he came on my radio show, if he was talked to, so that he could retract what he said. And Grant Cameron, whom I you probably know, yes. he told me. He was the one who told me, you need to speak with Bob Emenegger. It's probably the most important story in the UFO community because there's footage out there. And you can see the, the, the actual craft coming down. And this is footage from, what was it, 1950s, I believe? Uh, it would have been the early 1950s, yeah. Yeah, correct. Now, um, here, let me this. let's – you – have been doing this now for almost four years, and I don't I don't want to use the word favorite, but you know what one interview that that really uh, that you felt was extremely powerful and and that uh, that made an impact on you. People who listen may say, "Oh, Mel, you're just you're just being politically correct by saying that you don't have a favorite," and that is true. I do not have a favorite because to me, every single guest that I interview holds a a, a piece of the puzzle. So every week whether there's a lot of impact or, or not that much impact, every single show gives me a lot of, 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 of uh, information. But I have to tell you, recently I started exploring something new. I call it Veritas Vox Populi, Voice of the People. You know, we, we have interviewed a lot of people who have been interviewed by many, many others. But nobody out there is exploring those people who fly under the radar or who always want to tell their story, but nobody's giving them a chance. Whether it uh, their story is too controversial or it's hard to believe. So now I'm taking the time in speaking with, with people who have a very interesting story, and it is very credible. I cannot prove with 100% you know, certainty that what they're telling me is true, but I think it's important enough to relay it to, 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 to my audience. And this last show that I did with an, a man named Walt Willis is an example of this. This is a, a man who grew up in, uh, in New Mexico and uh, then moved around. And he had abduction experience. Then the military, uh, he went to the military. He displayed what I would call superhuman super abilities, you know, things along those lines. And he can, he can provide some information to you if you need it. But this is the kind of uh, interview that I'm seeking now. I'm trying to get people out there who are not known because I think this is how we're going to get to the truth. But do I have a favorite guest? I don't. I really enjoy most of the people that I talk to on a weekly basis because they're all part of the big puzzle. Okay, good answer. And and uh, and I was cautious not to say favorite, and then I guess that's what I was implying. But uh, <laughs> uh, now, um, now, so and I would also say so that in a, in a way is what I'm doing. Um, with with my program, I feel like I've made an effort to interview folks that that have never been interviewed before. And what has been happening with me? Um, did, there's a I've I've had a 
oh, how to say this? I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm, I go right up to the line and I, and I'm just very cautious to cross that line. And the line would be calling it UFO abduction experience. I have things that certainly would imply, you know, here I'm doing the thing that I always do when I'm, I'm like, it's very difficult for me to, to say that because it simply doesn't feel honest to say that. But I have had a lot of, uh, experiences that certainly imply that phenomenon. Um, uh, no, I, I totally understand. And I personally have never had an abduction experience that I am aware of. If it happened, I have no idea. Um, there's a few things that I, maybe, what the heck, I'll just share it here. I, I, I did say it at the forum the other day. Somebody asked me a question. But at this UFO Congress that you and I went to, Mike, you probably remember there was a a, 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 a man there that we know, Steve Colburn, Dr. Steve Colburn. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a, a table there where there were identifying or, or searching for implants. Uh, Steve works with Dr. Uh, Dr. Lear. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to just check this out. I want to see if there's there's something to this. And he had metal detectors. And I went there, and they found, not with, with a high degree of certainty, but he has a metal detector. And I took video of this. On the left side of my head, I've always had tinnitus for the last, I would say, close to 18 years. On the left side of my head, behind my ear, he passed the metal detector and he was beeping. Same thing on the right side of my my head. So if I have been abducted, I don't know it, but I would like to get more information as to what it is that's there. And some people say, why don't you just get an x-ray? Well, I've had X-rays before in my head, you know, when I had orthodontics and, I, you know, when I broke bones. And I just really do not want to put more radiation through my body. And if it's there or if it's not, obviously, to me, it has been a positive thing. Sometimes when I'm inter- interviewing people, I listen to myself after I, I'm done with the interview. And I hear myself asking a question that I have no idea where it came from. I don't want to say that I'm channeling. I don't think that I am. But... It perplexes me sometimes when I'm speaking to certain certain guests and information just flows and I have no idea where it's coming from. I know my mouth is moving and I'm talking, but after I'm done with the show, I listen to it and I say, where in the world did I get this question from? I didn't even write it down. I don't know if this happens to you too. You know, it doesn't happen so much to me you know, in that way as far as questions. Um, you know, I feel like I, I write a bunch of questions down and have like a format. Uh, and as soon as I start the interview, the format sort of falls by the wayside and it just, we end up having a conversation. Now I will also say that, um, I went into, uh, that booth, you know, cause he had a booth, uh, there right. at the conference and I, he and Steve, who is a friend of mine and I've, I met him some years ago and have, and, uh, we correspond often, uh, and he used the metal detector, um, which is just a stud finder from the hardware store. That's right. Uh, he just has a, you know, what high quality stud finder. It says Stanley right on the side of it. And um, he went across my, you know, my body and he found two anomalous signals kind of low on the back of my skull, just um, just where my spine would meet my skull. You know, one on the right side, one on the left side. He found a... Uh, uh, an anomalous signal right dead center in my 
where my third eye would be. He found one in my left hand between my ring finger and my middle finger and that little web part there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing to feel. I'm feeling it right now, that little spot. And he found one in my foot. Now, he also, I went into the room where they, he shines the black light on you and has the yeah. fluorescence. And there was, uh, now this is, there's any number of things I suspect that could create this fluorescence. Um, and, and I've actually seen some photographs of literal handprints on people that show up in, in black light for fluorescence. Or, um, you know, there's been a report of, of, uh, of someone who saw a, uh, uh, like in a, in a frozen state on their bed, they saw a little gray alien in their room. As it left the room, it touched the wall with its hand. And um, the next day, that person took a black light and found a, a handprint in, you know, black light fluorescence. I'm not sure what, you know, what the, the source of it was on me, but there was some on my left hand. You know, he ran the black light fluorescence over there and, and it was, um, there was a speckly glowing stuff all over my left hand. This is one of those things where I agree. Now, the thing that bothered me at the conference, because I was going to the, uh, the UFO abductee support groups in the morning, was that there was a sort of hubbub in the in the in the in the in the circle where people would say, I went to that booth and I have four implants and someone else would say, I went to that booth and I have five implants. But that's not what Steve was saying. Steve was saying is like, hmm, you have an anomalous reading from a piece of technology here and here, and then he would, you know, make some notes. And that is that's something I'm very aware of in this field, is that there's an eagerness to believe yeah. and and that that I, I i am and that's part of the reason i walk around the block three times before i can come up with a, a definition to define what may or may not have happened to me just be, simply because i have seen it in others where where they're a little i don't want naive may be a good word but a little too quick to to latch on to something as a, as a belief system and and it just it just doesn't sit well with me personally. I just I can't do it myself. Let me put it that way. Well, that's why I really don't talk about this at all. I mean, we went there. What was it? January of this year, I believe. February. It was. Yeah, February. I didn't talk about this at all. But in my conversation with Kerry Cassidy, I did talk about other things. And one of our forum members, one of our various members, actually cornered me at our forum and asked me about more information. And I decided, you know, why not? Why don't just tell it and i actually added the video because i i i don't want to talk about this because i don't want anybody to think that my cre my credibility is put into question because of this i wanted to give it to myself so what i did i had lisa romanek who was walking by and asked her can you please hold the camera and i went to steve colburn again i had done it the day before but i wanted him to do it again to see if the stud finder would be become activated again and it happened again in both sides of my head. And I actually, the next day when I came, well, after I came home, I bought this same Stott Finder, same brand, same model. Just wanted to see if I could replicate it. And yes, if I had it here in the studio, I would do it right now so you could hear the, the beeping noise. But it's it's not comfortable for us folks to, to talk about this because if you even mention this to, to somebody who's not in our field, just imagine the kind of ridicule you would you would be enduring. You know, you have to understand it, it's difficult to talk about to talk about it. But in this field, 
It's important. And I asked Steve Colbert, I said, Steve, what percentage of the people that you have seen so far would you say you have identified uh, uh, implants? And he said, well, first of all, this, this is not the traditional conference. This is most people who come here are into this. And he said probably between 75 and 80% of the people he saw has some kind of an, an anomalous uh, finding, which I found that very interesting. Now, this is interesting because, oh, God, it's, uh, there's a, it just seems that, now, this you've probably had this experience, and I know I have, where you go to the UFO conference, and then there's a researcher, and uh, they're, you know, they, they make the presentation, they make no claims about their own personal experiences, they show data, they, you know, they make, come to conclusions, they have a great presentation, and then you corner them in the bar later, and you sit and have a glass of wine with them, and they kind of look left, and they kind of look right, and then they then they basically say like, "Oh yes, I'm I'm an abductee too, but I simply yeah. can't come out and say it That's right. because of the ridicule factor." And I'm and I have heard that in one form or another enough that um, I don't want to say everyone because I think that would be incorrect, but it sure seems like everyone or most people involved in this field, if they don't have the direct experience, they certainly have some of the outlying experiences and in having done this research myself and talked to enough people, some of that outlying experience is, would be psychic events, you know, psychic uh, insights and, and, and such. So, you know, when you said those, when you shared those stories on other podcasts and I'll put a link to that, that one you have on your, your homepage, um, you know, that to me, you know, like it, there's I mean, obviously there's no answer. I, there, I wish there was like a, a term, maybe we could just invent one right now to describe, you know, the mystical events that that follow people in this field in a way that 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 is that seems genuinely curious to me. There's uh, I can speak of two. One I can name by name, but you probably know the father of the term crop circles, Colin Andrews. Yes. When I had him on the show for the first time, I asked him, you know, have you had any paranormal experience, any abduction? And he, I could tell that he was nervous. He didn't want to talk about it. And then I met him, met him in person, October of 2009. And there was a, a, a conference with Dr. Stephen Greer. And he finally came out. He finally came out. And he actually cried. And he explained how when he was a child, he, he thinks he was abducted. And he actually experienced burns. They had to take him to the hospital so they could address the burns. And I asked him, why, why didn't you say this before? And once again, we go back to the credibility factor. If there's a man who was an electrical engineer, known in the community, who talks about crop circles, all of a sudden says, I've been abducted. All of a sudden, many people, oh, the media would have a, a field day. I mean, in my case, I don't care what they say because I don't have sponsors or I don't have the media looking after me. I, I couldn't care less what they say. And, and besides, I have whatever I have said, I have said. I, I don't think I have any secrets in terms of what has happened to me par in the paranormal world. I also have another guest, a very popular guest. I cannot name the name because he's, he hasn't authorized me to say, but I've always told him, in joking and in passing, I would say to him, you know, the way you talk and the way you think, I really don't think that you're from this neighborhood. And he told me that in the 70s, he was walking somewhere in California, I believe, with his, his then girlfriend, now wife, and they had lost time. 
And he said that he was never the same after that. And he doesn't talk about this publicly, of course. So there you have it. A lot of people may have had the experiences that you want to suspect, but they don't talk about it because people are not ready. If people were ready and people would embrace that this is a, a, a this is not paranormal, this could be happening to more people than we're led to believe, then I think those people would come out and just uh, finally come out of the proverbial closet. Now, um, I have come out of the closet in a way. I have been addressing my own experiences in unbelievable, like I've been gushing. I, I, you know, the reason I do this, this show, the reason I do the, these podcasts is, um, and I am not, I say this over and over again, I, this is therapy for me. This is my, you know, my hour with this, with the, on the couch basically, uh, because I can talk about these things. I can wrestle with these ideas. I can, you know, uh, seek other people's input and information. And I want to do it in a very public forum and I will say that I, I get very few hits on my site. Um, you know, like I get 500 a day, which is, you know, compared to some other sites, must be very low. I am quite convinced that the 500 people who visit are the right 500 people. I know that might sound a little pompous, but from the emails I get, I have gotten so many, it's just a, it's just a, pattern of so many emails of, from people who are on that line where they're just about to tip over the edge. They're basically saying, like, I'm not sure what's happening to me. Uh, you know, like, I have these odd experiences. It seems to coincide with the UFO abduction experience. And then they thank me, and I take I take their input very seriously, and I take my role as someone who is sharing this information very seriously. Um, because these are real people these are real events these are these are these are very and i speak for myself these are very challenging issues to have to wrestle with when they are happening to you to like or to me um and i have been i've tried to be very public with these these uh these memories and the the continue one of the things that has been happening which gets reported across the board by people who claim these experiences is a, is a, an increase in synchronicity compared to the, um, you know, the statistical norm. Uh, and that has been an, an important chapter, an important ingredient in my, in my coming to terms with this. Oh, uh, absolutely. Is, that word synchronicity. <laughs> I, I have to tell you a story and, and some people know about the story, but some who are listening may not. I remember last year it was May and on a Sunday, I received a phone call from the guest I was supposed to have that week. I have one one guest per week, so I do a lot of research for days. And he said that he was sick and he was not going to be able to make it. So, you know, that Sunday I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, who am I going to be, you know, contacting this week? I need to do a lot of research. So I went and I started watching Stargate, Stargate Universe. I, I've only seen the movie. I hadn't seen any of the Stargate TV series, but I started watching Stargate Universe, and the first or second episode, they show the ship going through the sun, and they, the occupants thought they were going to die, and he comes out somewhere else, basically saying that the sun is a Stargate. The first thought that came to mind was, I've heard, um, um, gosh. William Henry? 
William Henry. Oh gosh, if he hears me, if he hears me, uh, not remember his name, he's going to be mad at me. But I thought, I wonder what William Henry would say about these ancient stargates. Fast forward to the next morning. I haven't written my request to any guest yet, but I opened my email. The first email that came that morning came from William Henry, and he said to me, "Hello, Mel. I would love to come on your show." To discuss, to discuss ancient stargates. I almost fell off my chair. I thought, if this is not synchronicity, what else is it? So I called him on the phone immediately, and I told him exactly what happened. William, I just thought about you last night. I started watching Stargate, and all of a sudden you sent me an email. And I used to be very skeptical about all this. I used to think, oh, this is just a coincidence. Now, things like that continue to happen again and again. Another example of this is uh, Jordan Maxwell. You may be familiar with him, but he was on my show and he was saying, you know, sometimes we don't believe in the spirit world, but all you have to do sometimes is ask a question, ask, wish, and they might be able to help you. The next day after, after I spoke to him, I went to the store, I came to the car and the car wouldn't turn on. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to have to call the tow truck and so on. So I called the tow truck and then I started trying to turn it on. No, no. And then I thought about his words. You know, concentrate. Ask. Ask your spirit guides or whatever they are. And I thought, I concentrated, and I said, okay, if this is true and you are healed to help me, please help me turn on my car. It's really hot around here. Not even a second later, I switched the key, and the car turned on. And I called the tow truck, and I, I told him not to come. But little synchronicities like that continue to happen to me more and more. Now, this is confirmation in a way like what you are saying you are defining what has happened in my life you know i could you know if you had six hours i could i could fill the whole time up telling you the synchronicities that have happened to me i won't do that now but uh the uh something about this phenomena is creates i don't know how to say it creates a resonance it changes something it it attracts something and the universe provides these synchronicities. Yeah. Uh, and I am convinced that these synchronicities are um, like, you know, when you're on the, if you were on the ocean and you had to travel and it was, and the sun wasn't out, it was cloudy or foggy, the only way you could travel was by, by using a compass. Yeah. So the compass bearing, you know, the synchronicity is the compass in your hand. It is, it is, it is leading you it is putting breadcrumbs in your path uh, leading you in a direction and i and i think it would be a mistake to ignore the synchronicities they they really all they can tell you uh you know other people may disagree but all they can really tell you is to pay attention and then they will you know and then to just turn in the direction of that synchronicity and i have a very publicly shared my synchronicity some of which are very weird and um the uh i think the act of sharing them creates an even more heightened resonance and and sort of produces more maybe i'm fooling myself but uh but i sense that uh since starting this site uh, and doing these in writing my little essays and you know posting these interviews, uh, the, the synchronicities have increased. And I'll tell you when I, um, the, the thing that really made the synchronicities go off the chart was I had been completely in denial about my own set of experiences. 
And there came a point when I said, you know, these memories are genuine. They're, they're very odd. And, they, and I, I know what they imply. They imply some sort of UFO connection. And I need to look into them. And the act of looking into it, and that meant going to researchers and, you know, actually searching people out and asking questions. And I attempted hypnosis. The act of looking into it, uh, the synchronicities exploded. And I didn't really gain much new information from hypnosis or talking to researchers. What I did gain confirmation from was the the synchronicities. They they confirmed that something genuinely happened in my life and that, that I should take it seriously. I think this is very important because the programming, the societal programming that we go through when we grow up, I don't know if this happened to you, but in my case, I... You know, went to Catholic school. You, when I shared these stories of, of, of for example, at the age of seven, I had another dream, a very vivid dream that told me how to get to, I had a, my first crush on this girl. And the dream told me exactly how to get to her house from my house. Very strange. So I came back from school that day and I said, hmm, let me see if this is true. So I told my mother I'm going to go out play. And I walked probably about two miles and I went directly following what the dream said. I knock on the door, and a, a lady comes out and said to me, are you lost? And I said, no, I'm here looking for Mary. And she said, sure, let me get her for you. And th this was the girl right there. I've never been to her house, so I knew exactly how to get there from the dream. When I, If I did tell the story, which I didn't, I knew it was going to be ridiculed. But other stories similar to that, if I said them to my parents or to school, or to a teacher, they would immediately say, you know, just, just imagining things, stop talking about that, it's, you're sounding a little bit cuckoo, crazy, stop it. So it stopped. Now, when you are older, and you don't care about what people think, maybe this whole feeling and these, this, I think we're all equipped with this. It's all a way of dousing in a way that we all have, we're equipped to do it. But we're told all the time that this is not possible. And I think the biggest conspiracy of all is the secret of our full potential. If we knew that we had unlimited potential to do so many things, and perhaps we, our pineal gland is more important than we're led to believe, and it is our universal Wi-Fi, if you tell it to most people, they're going to think you're crazy. But I'm studying more and more, and I'm getting to conclusions to say that, yes, this is probably true. So... Listening to your intuition and to your inner self, and I'm not, I don't mean to get new agey because I'm not. I come from the business world where things are black and white and they're very practical. You know, all this esoteric stuff is new to me, but I cannot deny it anymore. I went to the East City Ranch, James Gilliland Ranch. You know, for years I've heard about it and I said, no, that's going to be a bunch of hippies there just singing Kumbaya. But I was compelled to go and I was so wrong. To go to a place where engineers, doctors, attorneys, people from all walks of life go with one common goal, to be able to share their experiences and to maybe look and find a UFO. And that was my first experience a couple of years ago, so my first UFO. What I'm saying is follow your instincts and don't let society dictate what road to take. Yes, I could not agree more. And, and I have... Um 
my the creation of this blog this is actually one of the stories i wanted to share that because you talked about the creation of your blog mm-hmm. excuse me of your of your uh, audio series you know the 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 genesis of that was a dream with the words take action yeah um i uh was at the ufo conference this would have been in 09 this would have been february of 09 and i was driving home uh, between that would have been in, in Laughlin, Nevada, at that point, yep. and I was in, and I had a conversation. Are you familiar with a woman named Miriam Delicato? I know who she is. Yes. Yeah, she might be a good guest at some point. She's a, she has a very very interesting story. Um, I felt compelled to talk to her. We sat down, and um, you know, I shared these experiences. They were very. Oh, you know, I mean, I was in a bad way. It was very confusing. Two thousand and nine was a hard year for me, and. Um, she said, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about this more. And um, I thought about, like, what does that mean? I need to talk about this. You know, So I was driving home in my car. I'm in, the, you know, the traffic of Salt Lake City, which is about the halfway point between, well, a little, I was, you know, a little over the halfway point between Laughlin, Nevada, and my house here in Idaho. Um, and I had the, uh, my iPod on, and it was loaded up, which was the kind of, you know, I was just listening to UFO podcasts, which is the kind of thing I would do. And... Um, there was an episode of the Paracast, and that was back when David Biedney was still on the show, and the guest was Leo Sprinkle. Now, I am going to like forcefully say to you right now here, you need to have Leo Sprinkle on as a guest. Okay. Um, and I am he would he will yeah he is a wonderful, warm-hearted guy, and he was uh, you know at the forefront of UFO research. Um, you know, starting in the early 1960s, so he's been at it for 50 years. He has a wealth of knowledge. Um, and very very sweet, um, big-hearted guy. So Good. so so uh, David Biedney is interviewing Leo, and I actually wrote this down. Let me just so, um, and in the middle of the interview, because I had actually talked to Leo earlier, and so David is talking to Leo, and and uh, and then Leo says. Uh, David is actually saying, you know, like, this is hard for me because David had had his own set of experiences that are very confusing for him. And he said, yeah, this is really hard for me. To which Leo replied, you know, this reminds me of Mike Cleland in his case. And I'm driving and I totally took me by surprise. Like, oh, my gosh, Leo says my name, on, you know. And, uh, and he says, on one hand, he knows he's had experiences, but on the other hand, he can't reconcile that. Now, I, 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 that quote, you know, I, I grabbed the thing and I said, I got to listen to this when I get home. So I put it on pause and I'm driving in traffic and I look at the number and it's it's one hour, 23 minutes into the thing. So I'm like, great, that's easy. One, two, three, right? That's an easy number to remember. So I'll just look it up when I get home. Uh, what uh, I realized is that he said this. Now, this is this is my own little private journey in a way. And these numbers, I have numbers that show up over and over again. And the numbers are one, two, three, four, five. And... He said, the quote was, on one hand, he's talking about me, on one hand, he knows he's had experiences. And then that's exactly at the time count, one hour, 23 minutes, 45 seconds. And he says, but on the other hand, he can't reconcile that. So um, I, I don't figure that out until I get home, right? So I've been driving all day. I get home. I read that, that one, two, three, four, five, and that was... At that moment, I just went on to, to Blogger, and I said, like, I got to start a site. And I, and I just started a site. I, the, there's a little blank thing there. It says, 
you know, pick the name of your site. And I was like, I don't know, what, what can I call this thing? And I just said hidden experience. And that just sort of came out of nowhere. So I just typed in hidden experience. Ha, ah, that seems fair enough. And, and then I put a, you know, a handful of, I had written up some synchronicities that I had and I'd written up, written them up. Um, so I could put a few posts on those were written up almost as diary entries. So that experience, that curious synchronicity of, of, Leo Sprinkle mentioning my name at one two three four five, or mentioning actually mentioning the the sort of existential crisis I was going through at that moment um, was the genesis. And I have said this before, I I don't quite know why I started the the my online presence. It felt, and I know this is how this is going to sound. It felt like I was being compelled from an outside source. Now that yeah. may have been my intuition, that may have been my higher self, I don't know, but it did not feel like it was me uh you know starting the blog. It felt like it was some outside force that started it. Well, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, what happened to me was that dream, but for years and years I've always wanted to start a radio show. That was a dream of mine for years. But my wife always said, "No, no." This, you know, our family and friends are going to ridicule you and uh, you're going to get in trouble speaking of 9-11 and conspiracies. I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, but this was different. This in, in 2009 and eight, I'm sorry, she was writing a book. And I thought, look at her. She's pouring her heart and soul into this book and she's really enjoying it. And when this this dream of, of take action happened. At that point, I felt like, okay, she's writing a book. I don't think she's going to have a problem by me starting this now. But just one thing, just a quick parenthesis. I never like to speak negatively of anybody or third parties. But I have to say, I didn't have a great a great first impression of David Bietney when he when I started Veritas, I, I, I had an encounter with them. And I can't tell you how much he had ridiculed me at the I'm, beginning. I'm laughing. So, I, I know David you know, pretty well. David, I wish we had had a better beginning, a better genesis. Now, I'm not going to be an apologist for David Bietney. <laughs> David Bietney is a friend of mine, and he is he is opinionated. He is intense. And, and I, I will also say that he has shared experiences on his show that in no uncertain terms his life has intersected with something so he takes he takes the subject serious with a ferocity that 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 gets him in trouble sometimes or you know whatever like you know he, he's um so yes so you're not the only person that that can say that about him so yeah and i do consider him a friend so but you you, you didn't hurt my feelings and i know you wouldn't have hurt his feelings because he's very much at peace with his you know sense of self in that that department there so okay hey um how you doing we've been at it for about an hour and a half i'm fine i have water here good i have good um i have a whole bunch of questions here all these questions i as i reread them here they're kind of formal and dull, and and I'm not really interested in following up on on many of those. Um, here's a question: As far as did you ever have anything that you would call an awakening experience? I would say it's a good question. I would say that this happened about 2005. I, as I said, I'm, I'm a business owner. You know, business, corporate world before things were black and white. I never thought that our our government, for example, would lie to us. But after 2004, I believe it was, one of my brothers sent me a video of, 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 and you'll know why I call this an awakening, sent me a video or a presentation of what did not crash at the Pentagon. 
on the September 11th attacks. And I was offended. I was offended by the fact that he was questioning the original, the official story. I thought a government could never do that to the people, lie to us. And I didn't talk to my brother for, for a few months. But in silence, I started looking and looking and looking at this. And I found that the Nazis had the Reichstag fire. We had 9-11. They had fatherland security. We have homeland security. They had the Enabling Act. We had the Patriot Act. And I could go on and on and on. That was my very first awakening. That the life I was living at the time and the life that I had lived before that was most of it was a lie. And perhaps that's why we cannot go back more than a couple of thousand years before in knowing our true history. That was my right real awakening about 2005 when I realized that there were doors that we're not allowed to go to. And that's why I do what I do because of that awakening. Now, that's very interesting because the 9-11 uh, issue is – God, there, I don't think there's any issue on the table that's more hot button and that can get people infuriated or, you know, just, uh, but, and it's, it's interesting that, that you're. Oops. I'm losing your mic. And, and to me that there's like, you know, there's a, you go to a UFO conference and you talk to people who, uh, you know, basically who have seen something in the sky or something in their bedroom that the that the I have seen a metallic flying UFO in the sky. I saw it very clearly close up as a twelve year old. I mean close up. It's hard to know how close it was if it was you know how big it could have been. But um it was close enough that I was it was very clear. And um hold on here's something. You there? Oops just as we were going to start getting into the nitty-gritty of things we get disconnected <laughs> all of a sudden i was like i was on a roll too you missed it i was really going i was i had a big rant there so um yeah you talk about you know talk about the stuff that you're not supposed to talk about and the you know shit happens so i'll make uh in summation people who have seen ufos they have first-hand experience seeing something that the powers that be say cannot exist, mm -hmm. that is denied at a formal level throughout the highest ranks of our society, whether that be the government, the media, uh, you know, the, the academic world. This is not real. I know from firsthand experience that it is real. And um, what that does is that that allows me to say, well, like the bastards are lying about other stuff too, because I know they're lying about this. That's right. And 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 so I am, I am open in a way from my direct experience that that maybe most people aren't open, or let's say that I'm awake to certain details that other people are asleep to. Well, that's exactly the feeling, and I think that's probably why the same friends that I had say ten years ago, I have replaced with new friends. Because I really cannot continue sitting down and talking about politics and, and, and the way things are when I know for a fact that it's not the same. If I go to some of my friends that I had before and told them, look, 
You're just believing the official story. Or you're a Republican. Or you're a Democrat. You know, I get tired. Oh, my Facebook wall. You know, I have over 5,000 people there. And I see people talking about Obama or talking about Romney, good or bad. And I just sit in the, on the sidelines because I think this is one of the biggest conspiracies. There's left wing, there's right wing, and there's no wing. And this is where I am now. So once you start learning more and more about the reality of things, I don't know if you remember the movie Midnight Express. Have you ever watched that movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. I just you, saw it recently. Well, one of my favorite movies. There's a part where the, the, the star of the, of the movie is in an insane asylum. And then in the middle of the room, there's, there's a, 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 a pole, if you will. And all the, 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 the crises, if you will, are walking uh, clockwise. And the main character, all of a sudden, because he's not crazy, he was placed there because they didn't like him, he starts walking counterclockwise. And all the crazies are saying, no, no, you need to go, go come back. Almost like the sheep. The herd, the herder is herding the sheep at one, in one place, you know, one direction. But if one sheep comes out, immediately that she has to put, put into place and put back on track. And I think this is what's happening to people maybe like you and I. At least I know this is happening to me. The same conversations and the same relationships I used to have with people are now different. Of course, you cannot throw the family out. But when I'm with family now, I have to pretend and I have to continue playing their game. But outside, I'm myself. I call that when I'm out there with family and friends, it's my alter ego. Who you're listening to right now, this is me. And it's very difficult to be wearing those hats because you know that those people out there are just behaving like zombies, just watching the TV, watching sports, and nothing against sports, but you know, or watching the latest uh, reality TV show, because that's mainly to keep you distracted so that you don't ask questions, so that you don't find the truth, so that you can keep the status quo and keep things the way they are, because that's what benefits the power that want, the powers that want to be. Um. You just described my life uh, the last few years. I have uh, my former set of friends who I still love. They're all still out there. Uh, I just don't interact with them as much as I used to. Yeah. Uh, what has happened is a new set of friends have replaced that, and I and I have to praise the Internet. Um, the ability for me to reach out, the ability for people to reach out to me is so profoundly enhanced by this by this little box here on my desk uh in a way that that uh is transformative i mean you can make fun of the internet i you know i feel like you know people you know there's obviously lots of things that you can that are that are negative about you know about what's on the internet but what has happened is the ability to connect connect and i have i have connected with people with such profoundly interesting strange stories in in my sense is the focus of my site and my research has been the ufo abduction experience and there is a, a pop culture uh definition of the ufo abduction experience i think anyone at any shopping mall if you asked them they would they would be able to say oh yeah they come in your bedroom at night they take you on roads you know at late at night creepy medical exams they they've got big eyes and you know big black eyes and big bald heads and and so everyone knows that story what i'm trying to do is make sure that the outlying data the really interesting stuff doesn't get 
ignored or let's say let's it it, it 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 that it has a venue where it can rise to the surface and be seen a lot of the reporting that i've done and a lot of the interviews i've done has focused on the extremely strange stuff that happens with uh you know people who claim the abduction phenomena and that would be you know on the you know the top of the list would be synchronicity and then you know on down the list if there's there's outlying stuff that that never you'll never see on a late night uh documentary about the about ufo abductees you know you'll only see the creepy stuff about you know medical exams yes absolutely for some reason that's how the media portrays it i mean you look at all, a lot of the movies you know, all you have to do is go back to the 1930s when Orson Welles uh, reenacted re the work of H.G. Uh, Wells. I sometimes wonder, Mike, if a lot of that was a psyop to test the population. And, you know, what Carol Rawson said, that if there's a, a, an, a, a, an invasion, an extraterrestrial invasion, it may not be true. And I wonder if they have been planting the seed all along. And Hollywood is 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 a great star when it comes to 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 portraying aliens uh, mostly negatively. I mean, have you seen lately any any movies that portray extraterrestrials in a positive light? Very few. Very few. Yeah, E.T. You have to go back thirty That's years. That's right, nineteen eighty-two. Correct. Yes. In in now it's. Is there a conspiracy there? You know, I, I'm not sure, but I definitely see the pattern. And you know what's shocking is uh, I went through, oh, the last couple of years, I don't have an example of it from here. You can just Google, you know, like top 25 movies of 2011, and it'll, you get a nice big tidy list. And um, like two-thirds of them were movies about aliens mm -hmm. in one form or another. Well, this is uh, one of the most popular topics on TV. And on radio, even I've heard Art Bell and George Norris say that whenever there's rating sweep, which is what determines how much a radio station can charge for their commercials, when there's rating sweep, they immediately switch everything to UFO or ET, the ET topic. That's how popular it is. Same thing on TV. Right now we have we had uh, uh, how many programs do we have about UFO? We have Ancient Aliens. We also have Chasing UFOs. However, you, you may know James Fox, my friend James Fox. He and I had a conversation a few months ago. He called me and said, Mel, do you have any stories that you can relate to me so that we can show him on the show? It's, it's confidential. It's National Geographic. And at the time, I didn't say anything because it was not public. But I, I gave him some silence. And he asked me, why are you giving me silence? Well, you don't trust me? And I said, yes, uh, James, I trust you. But I don't trust the mainstream media. And National Geographic is owned by Fox News, by the Fox Network. And we left it at that. And a lot of people who have seen Chasing UFOs lately have come to the conclusion that it's, it's a lot of it's debunking. And I, I think there's, there should always be a degree of skepticism in anything. We don't want to believe we want to know. At the same time, you do it in a way that you're going to just present the facts. And some of the shows I've seen lately, and even James publicly stated it a few weeks ago that he was very disappointed in the way they are doing this show. This is not what was promised to him. So we have to be very careful in what we see out there. Just because the History Channel is telling you something or because National Geographic or the TV is telling you something, folks, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. And if it's really something that's going to 
tilt the, 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 the scale and is going to jeopardize the status quo, which is the, the, the sponsors that keep those shows alive. Believe me, we're not going to see the truth on TV. Yes, the revolution will not be televised. Yes, That's right. it may be on the internet, but it's yeah. not going to be televised. Right. Uh, yes. Now, I, I um, yes, I, I've met James Fox. I, I'm super impressed with him. I have a close friend who's who uh, grew up next to him, and um, the Chasing UFOs show. I have a very hard time watching television. I worked in advertising for a while. Um, I worked on a film production crew for a while. So, I've, so I know a little bit about what's involved in the production of these things. Mm -hmm. um, I could not physically sit in front of the screen and watch Chasing Aliens. It it upset me, not even so much the content. I mean, I knew the content was going to be silly, but the, the way the editing was, the way the dramatic music was, the way the flash, uh, you know, the use of... I just, it just, I had a physical reaction where like, I, you know, like my toes were curling in my shoes and I just had to turn it off. Um, yeah. And this is like, I mean, I am fascinated by this subject and I want to know how it is being portrayed in, in popular culture. And I could not stomach that show. It just, it was painful. Yeah, absolutely. And all, have, all you have to do is look at these sponsors. If there's a commercial for, for, you know, a gas station or pharmaceuticals or things along those lines. Do you really think if they found somebody who said, yes, here's some information. I have some material here from an extraterrestrial craft and there's some machinery here that uh, can give you inverse gravity. Do you think that the mainstream media would allow that information to be disseminated? And the answer is absolutely no. Here's an example. Uh, may not be related to aliens, but I went to uh, the History Channel last year to do a segment on the WebBot. We were talking about 2012. And when I was in the van with the producers, they, they knew about the story that I was going to be talking about. But they told me, Mel, just make sure that you dumb things down. You have to dumb it down. And that took me by surprise because I used to be a fan of the – I'm still a fan of the History Channel. I like it. But I told them. Guys, I thought the History Channel was the last bastion of intellect that we still have left on TV. All you do is switch channels and you see soap operas that never end, or you see reality TV. Where's the creativity? You were, you, you were in advertising, so you know and you appreciate the, the creative mind of people. But lately, we're seeing you know, the Three Stooges. We see a lot of new movies based on old stuff. Um, we see, you know, rehash stuff again and again. Uh, and, and and these reality TV shows are so cheap, uh, cheap, you know, so there's not expensive to produce at all. And this is the kind of culture, the pure American literature that we're instilling in our youth today. So when they told me dumb things down, I was perplexed. And they said to me, Mel, you know what the most popular show on History Channel is? And I said, which one is it? Pawn Stars. And I thought, my goodness, so what does it have to do with the history? So... Our culture and our education needs to be revisited because it's changing and not for the best. Ooh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I take uh, a certain amount of pride in my web presence and I try to uh, I try to be very thoughtful in what I share in the way I share it. Now now this is something I'm this is this is one of the questions, one of the sort of uh, dull, dry questions I'm gonna ask you. Yeah. Um you, I've heard you call yourself a perfectionist when you talk about your show. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of people say, why don't you hire more, more help? I, 
my dad used to tell me all the time, if we want something done right, do it yourself. And I have a problem with some of my businesses when I have to hire employees because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do what they do. But I'm a perfectionist. I want things to be done right. In, in the case of Veritas, I want the audio to be the best I can possibly provide. You know, I cannot control what, what the guest is using. If it's a phone or if it's Skype, I can't control what they're doing. But on my part, I want the experience to be the experience I always wanted when I listened in to a radio show. You know, sometimes you listen to a radio show that it's, it's very low quality. It distracts me to not be able to listen clearly to what the guests and the host are saying. Um, the music that I choose the topics that I choose, the questions that I that I prepare, the entire research process, everything I do, and believe me, I, I don't know it all. I don't know broadcasting. This was just presented to me in a way where I had to, you know, jump in a pool without knowing how to swim. So it's been a learning experience for me. I'm not a webmaster, so whatever you see, it's it's something that I just did with what I could do. But if I can help it, I'll try to make it the best possible experience for those who are listening. If I'm going to have somebody for two hours on my show, I want to be able to extract as much information. So that's why I hardly talk too much. I, I, I ask a lot of questions, but usually I try to, to have the guests speak 70 to 80% of the time and me just asking questions because I want the guest to shine. I want to extract as much as I possibly can. And at the end of the show, if it's a doomy show, a doom and gloom show, I want to be able to leave people with hope with hope, with solutions, because a lot of times you hear people just talking about the end of the world and they don't tell you anything else. Provide solutions. Be living in, 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 don't be in fear. Be in awareness. So all that to me, it's part of being a perfectionist. Now, this is good for me to hear because um, I too, and we talked about this a little bit before, um, you know, I, I care very deeply about the sound quality. The reason I care about it is because just like you, I have tried to listen, like someone will have an interesting guest on their podcast, and there's a thing called blog talk, which I think is almost criminal how bad the quality is uh, yes. on those things. And it's just a bunch of people on the phone, and it sounds crappy, and it's done live, and and, and uh, I, you know, I think you and I both edit the program, so if someone you know, sneezes or, or needs to get a drink of water, you can easily just clean that up, and, and the listening audience, uh, you know, we, we it's not like it's being projected on a television set or a radio you know everyone knows how to use the pause button if they have to uh you know take a break and such so yes i i agree it's very painful for me to try to listen to some of the very low quality shows simply because i know how easy it is to do something you know you have to take a few extra steps and it's not that hard so yes now now you said something that i that i didn't expect and i want to i want to follow up on this you said um you want to make sure that if there's a gloom and doom topic that people or that the that the show ends on a powerful optimistic note you know something uh, uh i i'm thinking there's a i think it's the most recent show you did where you um there was a round table on uh, the 911 uh, issues yeah. with Judy Wood. There's an author that I'd never heard of from New York City, and then um, the English fellow, the Neil, Neil Kramer. Yes, you know when I listened to the first part, you know I was like, "Ooh, this is this is this is dark." You know, I mean, this is you know we're we you're confronting the the uh, you know everyone's worst fear that the puppet masters are pulling a lot more strings than we ever imagined, and then uh, but at the end, I have to give you credit; it did. Um, you know, you you orchestrated it in a way 
that uh, allowed for a positive message in, in the culmination of that very dark program. Always, always. Same thing happened with the, the show that I did the week before. Very controversial show. Three hours with Dr. Courtney Brown, the remote viewer. A lot of the stuff that he talks about is very, very dire. And, and just a quick synopsis, he and a group of remote viewers were remote viewing the future, the year 2013 and 2008, I believe. And they were trying to see the difference in, the, in uh, Earth changes. It had nothing to do with the end of the world. They just wanted to remote view certain targets and see, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro or the North Pole or, you know, a radio station in Hawaii. They wanted to see if those locations were still going to be there intact. And what he found was very dire. But in the end, I, I put it in a way where he discussed for about 10, 15 minutes all the hope and all the potential that we have as human beings. And uh, although the second segment of the show is only for members, I decided to air the last part of the show, the ending, I call it, and, and, and it was so uplifting. So when you have somebody out there that's only speaking of doom and does not provide any, any, any solutions, to me, that person is simply part of the problem. And I know people in the beginning, you know, if I dealt with that topic, it was very hard to swallow. Uh, they told me. Please, Matt Mel, you're lowering my vibrations. And I, <laughs> I didn't even understand what that meant back then. I used to, my first year was 90% UFO shows. But then after I started doing UFO shows, more stuff came out. You know, what if these extraterrestrials conquered disease? What if they conquered energy? Then I started looking into alternative energy. And I started looking into spirituality. And I started looking into the esoteric stuff. It opened more and more doors. And that's why... Right now, my show is so varied, and I don't like to repeat the topics. But yes, 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 and and in more power to you because it it is very easy to. I mean, I would almost say just look at the headlines in the New York Times if you want to get bummed out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like the the there is plenty out there to to drag you down. And I, at a gut level, at an intuitive level. I am optimistic because I sense that there's a there's a amazing untapped potential in in the human kind. I mean, in the power that that can be generated uh, through cooperation, and you know, and I'm not even talking on a grand level. I'm talking just you know neighbor to neighbor that that um you know things and enormously positive things can occur. I, I've believe me, I've read every gloom and doom thing about 2012. I am skeptical of all of it. I I pay attention. You know, every single person who has a theory has a conflicting theory, so they can't all be right. You know, and they can't all be wrong. But I sense that um, we as a species are in a dangerous chapter of our of our history here on this planet. And in saying that, I also th say that we as a species are you know at the tipping point of great potential too. This reminds me of the movie Starman, when the main character asked the man, he says, would you like me to tell you what I find beautiful about you, about humans? And he said, you are at your best when things are worse. And I always tell this story how I grew up in the Caribbean, so every summer we had uh, hurricanes. And you know how it goes. A lot of times people don't know who their neighbors are. They don't interact that much with the neighbors. But when the lights go out, and the water goes out for days and sometimes even weeks, all of a sudden people come out of their houses, of their homes, 
and start bringing food and water to each other without expecting anything in return. And you get this feeling of camaraderie and, 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 and oneness. And again, I don't want to sound new agey here, but yes, you start feeling that your brothers and sisters are here with you. And the question is, why do we always have to act this way when things are bad? Why can we act like this tomorrow, today? Just do something right. Do something. Do, you know, what, what they say, a, 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 an act of kindness without expecting anything in return. If everybody were to do something small on a daily basis, I guarantee you we would live in a better world. Now, um, that is a beautiful point that we can start winding this interview down. That that was well said. And I will say to you that your show, with its what I consider very high standards in production, and Thank then you. I also will say that you have, a, um, you have a really nice voice. You have a really nice way about yourself. Uh, in, uh, English obviously isn't your first language, correct? Oh, you just noticed? No, no, no. I mean, you must have grown, yeah, obviously. So, but, um, but the, so you're, the fact that it's not your first language, you speak, especially on the show, you're a little more worked up right now than you get on the show sometimes. Um, you speak very slowly, very deliberately, and, and it has, um, it adds a level of seriousness to, to your program. It took me a while to get into. I have to say, the first few episodes that I listened to, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure where this is going, and I'm not sure. And then, um, and then as I dug a little deeper, I realized, like, oh no, this guy is this guy is in it for the right reasons. And I and I say that, you know, genuinely. Thank you. Um, the whatever the the veritas, the, the, what you're doing, the work you're doing is a is a, obviously a, you know as a pebble in the pond. And those ripples may be tiny, but I suspect they are having an impact. And I'm almost saying this to myself because I get disillusioned sometimes and I, and I feel like I don't have the energy to go on. But I do go on. You know, so the work that you are doing uh, in the work that I'm doing, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel it, it was important. And, and I do get the feedback from my listeners that, um, you know, they are grateful that I, you know, follow these topics in the way that I do. And that's the beauty of the internet too. You know, when I said about the internet, I don't speak. I'm not speaking negatively of the internet. Just like a knife, it's a double-edged sword. You can use it to cut an apple. You can use it to kill somebody. The internet is a wonderful tool. I have a somebody I know, Alan Horwath, who used to do scores for Hollywood music scores, and I heard him in an interview recently where he said that in the 1970s and even 80s. To be able to do a podcast or similar to what you and I do today, you needed at least $400,000 back in the 70s. And for us to be able to do this with very inexpensive equipment, and the fact that you and I do this show today, and not even a minute after, we can receive feedback from around the world. And you ask me about the way I, I speak, and sometimes I speak slowly and clearly because I know I have many people who's native language is not english but they speak somewhat so when i make it clear i get their feedback and i said thank you for speaking clear because i get it but this feedback around the world talk about being connected with everybody i remember at the beginning when a radio consultant that i talked to i wanted to take the show to the next level he told me you don't have a prayer of a chance to compete with anybody i mean radio is what it is and that's the way it's going to be and right now if you have a local radio station in a town, you and I have more reach because people can listen to you all over the world. And I think many people say that you know our economy and, and, uh, uh, and earth changes are, are, are bad, but I think we are the most 
privileged people to be living in the most exciting times right now. Things are not perfect. No, they're not. But I look forward to a future where we can actually tap into all those hidden secrets that you and I and all the people that do what I do will be instrumental in opening those doors and shattering the paradigms that are going to take this human race to the next level. Well said. Yes, we can end it at that. Um, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time and having this uh, conversation. It's my pleasure. And, uh, and I will once again say that I was astonished when, when you said that you had um, pericard, uh, pericarditis. Pericarditis, yes. I had to look it up <laughs> on the piece of paper here. Um, that you had it uh, in, a, in the follow-up to a... Uh, a UFO conference that to me, like I was, as soon as I heard that, I was like, Oh, I got to talk to this guy. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. I look forward to seeing you. And I don't know if you're going to head to the conference in, uh, in February in Phoenix again. I will. I will. Are you going to be there? I'm going to try to, I just find that I, uh, how to say it. I mean, I need it. I, I, I need to be surrounded by people who share the same experiences. It's my sanity depends on it. So yeah. <laughs> great. And thank you for having me on your show. I enjoyed it. You're a good interviewer. Good, good. And I, and I try to be, um, earnest and and, you know i treat the subjects very seriously so good good all right hey thanks so much and thanks for putting up with my uh my my side of the story too because i do talk a lot on these things oh you're welcome i enjoyed it this is mike i am chiming in at the end of the interview here i just completed the editing process i just want to add a few little things i thought that went great i thought it was interesting uh kind of curious that mel um and i i guess uh, both when we talked to uh, a fellow named Steve at a UFO conference, and he ran a Stanley stud finder around our bodies, uh, he found uh, anomalous readings that uh, that might maybe perchance possibly indicate uh, some sort of alien implant. I know how that sounds. Uh, it is interesting that Mel, who denies any kind of involvement with the UFO phenomena, uh, not only does he actively pursue the topic in a very public way, and not only does he have a life of anomalous paranormal and psychic events, but he also has uh, curious readings that, uh, that uh, some would call an alien implant. I would be very cautious to call it anything but that. Uh, it is it is something interesting. And, and I also want to add that uh, in this in this format that Mel and I did, we did something that that I've tried before and it worked out perfectly this time. Uh, Mel recorded at his end. You know, he's a, obviously does a podcast. He's got a you know nice microphone and and uh, the equipment required. So he he recorded at his end. Uh, I have a nice microphone. I recorded at my end over Skype. Now, now, quite honestly, during the Skype conversation, uh, he's his voice kind of fritzed out a little bit. It would chatter a little bit, uh, and I could hear that. Now, that would have been very distressing to me uh, until I figured out this neat trick on how to how to marry these two separate soundtracks together. What I do is, uh, you know, that I put them both side by side on GarageBand. Uh, one is only my voice, one is only his voice, uh, and it works great. It works just perfect. Uh, it sounds like we're in the studio together. It, it was easy. I will also add for any podcasters out there, this is something that took me a long time to figure out. Uh, when the Skype recorder records an audio interview, it records it in a in a format called .mov. 
an MOV file, and I think that's for movie of some sort. But anyway, it's an audio file. But what it has is two separate tracks. One is the output, what I'm speaking into the microphone, and one is the input that is uh, is coming into the computer from another source. That would be the person on the other end of the Skype call or the phone call. Now what, what uh, I can do is separate those two tracks and then adjust the volume completely independently of each other, which, uh, oh my gosh, this is, this. I wish I had known this years ago. I had wasted so much time trying to figure out how to level out the sound quality. It, yes, with that very simple trick, it uh, you just get really high quality sound. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.